Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Everything Kratom, the podcast about anything and everything Kratom. Great to have you with us on this Wednesday morning. Hoping all is well. It's tough to beat what happened yesterday with the World Health Organization officially proclaiming that they will not be conducting a critical review of Kratom. Um, It was a great decision, a big decision, one that I think takes a lot of weight off of a lot of people's shoulders as we look ahead. Today, looking at state-by-state battles now, uh, as we kind of fade out of the national spotlight and international for a little while, um, we're looking at Wisconsin. The American Kratom Association just announced this week that there will be a hearing held today in Wisconsin. Um, It's going to be held by the Assembly State Affairs Committee, and the hearing will be on Assembly Bill 599, the Kratom Consumer Protection Act. The interesting thing about this is that Wisconsin right now has both of the two primary alkaloids in Kratom banned, uh, and both are considered Schedule 1 drugs. So they're making this consideration on a Kratom Consumer Protection Act when you cannot uh, produce or consume Kratom in the state, which is interesting. Uh, so I looked into the history of this a bit and uh, looked, pulled up a few articles, and let's cover a bit about what's going on here. So um, in 2013, Wisconsin had a bill introduced into its Senate, and the bill uh, effectively banned Kratom through uh, classifying the two main compounds uh, of Kratom, metragenine and 7-hydroxymetragenine, uh, you know, schedule, schedule one those, essentially. So in Wisconsin, that, that went through in 2014 in the spring, and so right now Kratom is illegal in Wisconsin. Now, um, to basically take Kratom out of that Schedule 1 uh, categorization, it's very difficult. And you kind of have to prove its beneficial properties. And then in addition to that, you know, looking at Wisconsin's uh, policy for doing that, it basically includes you have to prove that there isn't really the potential for abuse. Um, You have to know it's, you know, the scientific evidence of its pharmacological effect um, and the history and current pattern of any abuse that exists, the risk to public health uh, or lack thereof. Um, the potential of a substance to produce psychological or physical dependence liability. And now, um, you know, the, the one of the most difficult aspects of this process is that the Controlled Substances Board, and this is all, you know, in quotes from their actual language, the Controlled Substances Board may consider findings of the Federal Food and Drug Administration or the Drug Enforcement Administration as prima facie evidence relating to one or more of the determinative factors. It's a bit of Latin for you. I looked it up. I have a little lawyer's dictionary. And uh, essentially that means that their viewpoint is taken at word and as precedent in that um, to, you know, basically change this law, you would have to prove the FDA and the DEA wrong to the Wisconsin legislature. So that's going to be difficult. But with all that in mind, what really opened up the possibility for a Kratom Consumer Protection Act still happening in Wisconsin 
Uh, and for this actual meeting that's happening today in Wisconsin, what really opened up the possibility was an informational hearing in 2019. And that's where things shifted. In 2019, the Wisconsin Senate Committee on Health and Human Services held a hearing on Kratom. So we're going to hold an informational hearing. Um, about a month ago, I had received a letter from several legislators um, asking for an informational hearing on the um, on Kratom, which is a native plant from, from Asia. And um, so we decided be a great opportunity to invite some speakers to come in and discuss it. But I think what would be helpful before we get started with some of our special speakers, uh, maybe have Ledge Council give an overview of Kratom, how we how it arrived to be a controlled substance here in the state, and then we'll open it up to our, our invited guest. Sure. So uh, in uh, under 2013... So they give this little introduction into how Kratom was banned in 2014 through that bill that was introduced the year prior. And then they went straight into having a guest speaker who happened to be Dr. Henningfield, uh, one of the primary authors of the eight-factor analysis that the AKA uh, released this year. Thanks for that summary. So I think we'll get started with uh, Jack Henningfield, Vice President of Research, Health Policy, and Abuse Liability of, is that Penny Associates? I'm Jack Henningfield. Uh, with Penny Associates, I head research in health policy and abuse liability. I am also uh, adjunct professor of behavioral biology. At the and John so Dr. he rattles off, you know, the expansive career that he has in drug dependence and chemicals and research and, you know, the most impressive resume one could ever imagine. I'm here because of people that are um, better off, I think, having access to Kratom, but I'm a scientist, and you'll hear where the rubber hits the road, real human stories in a few minutes. I'd just like to give you a little bit of the scientific background, because that's, that's what I do. I've published nearly 500 papers in the general area of addiction and drug development. Um, i start out with the basics. Kratom is a, a tree in the coffee family. It's not in the opioid family. It's not an opioid by nature, chemistry, or the Controlled Substances Act or the international drug control, or we wouldn't be here. It would be a Schedule One drug automatically. You know, he has a very curt way of speaking. He speaks straight to the point. Uh, he doesn't really dilly-daddle around with the points that he's trying to make. And he just continues to back everything up with solid evidence. Surveys in the United States show that kratom use is generally not associated with the personal <coughs> and societal harms that opioids and other drugs are. And this was also found in Southeast Asia, where what they found was that people that got off of opioids got their lives back. And not only does Dr. Henningfield go through a number of studies and, uh, you know, research papers talking about the, uh, you know, misinformation and misinformed uh, perceptions of Kratom, but he goes right into how it interacts with your body and the difference between it and the drugs that people often think are just synonymous with Kratom. Uh, a lot of new research is being done on the neuropharmacology and toxicology of Kratom. And the neuropharmacology is fascinating, and that's why Knight is putting a lot of money into it. Kratom goes through, mitragynine goes through a way station, if you will. It affects 
opioid receptors in the brain, like a lot of receptors, substances do, but then it bypasses the system that goes to respiratory depression and powerful euphoriant effects. And those are the signature opioid effects that drive the opioid epidemic and are killing uh, nearly 48,000 people in the United States, 47,000 uh, in 2017, nearly 1,000 in Wisconsin, and increasingly by fentanyl. Fentanyl does not bypass that way station. It zips right through it, breathing stops. You know, he's a very personable doctor as well. Uh, he can captivate the room, which was important in this information sharing hearing, which was happening for two hours. Uh, it's very easy to tune out in, in situations like that, but people were quiet and listening very intently. And he was able to grab everyone's attention with uh, not only, you know, the science, but just breaking it down for the everyday person. I testified at an FDA hearing in 2018 that banning Kratom is like taking away the life preserver from someone that's struggling in the ocean because it's not Coast Guard approved. So Dr. Henley really sets the scene for this meeting, and it is obviously, you know, getting the points across that he's hoping this speech does. And then the committee turns to Senator Bramble. All right, up next, we're really fortunate to um, have our next speaker. It's uh, Senator Kurt Bramble from the great state of Utah, who's worked on this issue in, in Utah. And uh, we're fortunate to have you here to share your experiences. So welcome. Thank you, Mr. Chair, members of the committee. Um, by way of introduction, I'm a CPA. So Senator Bramble from Utah starts to set the scene with his position in Utah, his um, you know, political uh, affiliation, and the fact that Utah does have a Kratom Consumer Protection Act, which he championed. But before really diving into that, he brought up the personal aspect of his life, which brought him there. And that turned out to be his daughter and son-in-law's relationship uh, between themselves and painkillers and how simply getting some physical injuries in high school and college uh, sent them down a very rough road. Fast forward a few years after they got married and that uh, prescription drug became prescri prescription drug abuse that led to illegal drugs, that led to heroin addiction, that led to jail. My daughter is one of the, the few success stories where she's pulled herself back out. She's been clean now for 14 years. My son-in-law is dead from an opioid overdose. Okay? That's why I'm here. So obviously it was a very powerful intro to the senator's testimony. And then he didn't spare any time and just really jumped into taking down the misinformation around Kratom and, uh, you know, fixing the record, so to speak. The nine deaths in Sweden, when, when NIDA looked at it, originally... NIDA uh, took the position, the FDA must be right. It's on the opioid receptors, there are deaths, therefore the, there must be a problem. But then NIDA started drilling down on the data. They wanted to get the toxicology reports, so they found that those nine deaths in Sweden all came from the same source. It was a product called Krypton, bought online, and that, in every case, those deaths, it was found that the product Krypton was kratom mixed with uh, synthetic O-desmethyltramadol. Now, if you take O-desmethyltramadol in a high enough dose, it'll kill you right now. 
didn't have to be mixed with kratom. You could mix it in the water and you'd, you'd die. And he even holds up his little water bottle <laughs> just to, uh, you know, complete the whole effect that he's trying to, to, to create. And then he moves into, you know, the classic, you know, 44 cases that uh, we all know about in the U.S. The 44 deaths, when NIDA drilled down on all 44 deaths, they found all 44 were kratom that was contaminated with uh, poly drugs, either uh, one or more barbiturates, uh, narcotics, uh, etc. He then even goes further and explains how there's one case uh, that reports a death where kratom is the only substance referenced in the death report originally, and how through some real digging and uh, getting past the redacted sections of the original report, he was able to show the ridiculous interpretation of the real circumstances surrounding this death. One of the cases, one of the, one of the reports was interesting, and, and Jack could expand on this. The uh, report was, or maybe uh, Mac will, the report was redacted. They had the name of the decedent, Kratom-related death, date of death. When they got the unredacted report, they found that that individual had nine other chemicals in his system that weren't reported. They were redacted. But that wasn't the most important thing about the report. The redacting of the multiple gunshot wounds to the chest and still calling it a Kratom death raised serious questions. And so when Jack said that the FDA... So looking past the fact that this report with the redactions taken back uh, bring up the fact that this person who died had nine other chemicals in their system. The report also failed to mention that they had been shot multiple times in the chest. So, wow, what more can be said about that one? Then the sender, you know, takes a turn and he starts talking about where Kratom comes from in this country and, you know, how it doesn't really come from this country in 95% come from a specific place uh, within Borneo and how he had traveled there and learned about other aspects of Kratom that are helpful and should be considered as well. They're repla- in Indonesia, they're replacing their palm oil plantations with Kratom because palm oil plants, they destroy the soil. Kratom actually, according to the uh, Minister of Agriculture in Jakarta, now I'm not a, a scientist, not an agriculture specialist or anything else, but their testimony was that the kratom plant actually puts nutrients back in the soil. So that was an interesting turn that I wasn't expecting from him. After he makes his testimony, he opens it up for any questions, and he gets asked this one. So looking over your legislation, looks like you have a lot of consumer protections in here, truth and labeling components within within the legislation that you got passed. Just curious, I mean, what were some of the biggest obstacles that you faced when you introduced this legislation within your own state house? We're a conservative state. We don't like big government. We don't like government regulation. And to the extent that there were questions, it was, well, hold it. If it's, if it's legal right now, why would Big Brother, why, why, why Nanny say, why would, you, why would you come in and do something? Well, to those arguments, kind of the more libertarian or the more conservative side of the equation, I said, look, if we don't, then, and, and if, if people are purchasing adulterated product and having adverse consequence, that may uh, motivate banning the product. And then, of course, uh, Mac Haddow, who's 
with the American Kratom Association steps up. Of course, he's present. Um, he is, you know, <laughs> the superstar of the AKA, and he really doesn't talk too long. He just has a little brief thing. And he talks about what happened the first time the DEA tried to ban Kratom. Uh, the result of that was 232,000 citizens commented. They were law enforcement, medical professional, veterans, uh, across the spectrum, people that said 99.1% of which said do not ban Kratom. That's why we're here today. The FDA has actually been isolated in the Washington community with respect to Kratom. And as Jack said, they're wrong on the policy and they're wrong on the science. Finally, the, uh, the last two testimonials were from people who lived in the area and who use Kratom and how Kratom has helped their lives. Uh, the first person talked about how Kratom helped them with their anxiety and depression. The second person talked about how it helped them with their back pain. And after these two testimonials were done, uh, the meeting was concluded on a very positive note. And I'll just let you listen to what uh, the chair said. There's no other um, people testify before the committee. I just want to thank the legislators who approached us on this issue. And I think there's definitely some merit and in, in, uh, um, potentially an appetite for us to take a, a look. And we have a model that Utah has laid out for us that we could uh, certainly explore. So um, seeing no other business before the committee, we are adjourned. Awesome. Thank you. So there you have it. It ended on a very positive note. And fast forward two years, we're sitting here today with the possibility of Wisconsin repealing the Schedule Wanting of Kratom and making it legal again and replacing that Schedule Wanting with a Kratom Consumer Protection Act for Wisconsin. If this happens, it would be a great step forward for the state and the country. Um, as I've said before, I think this is now turning into a more local and state-level fight for uh, access and responsible regulation of Kratom. So let's all tune in. Let's watch it closely. And um, really looking forward to seeing what's happening next. Thanks so much for tuning in, you guys. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, the additional content within it. And I will be back with you again soon. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.